The Institute of Art and Ideas is excited to announce Closer to Truth as an official partner for our upcoming How the Light Gets In Festival at Hey on Why, happening this year, May 24th to 27th. Closer to Truth examines humanity's deepest questions with the world's greatest thinkers, from Nobel laureates and renowned scientists to theologians and best-selling authors. For 20 years, Closer to Truth has explored the deep questions of cosmos, consciousness, and meaning. This year, host Robert Lawrence Kuhn journeys to new depths with their philosophy of biology season, exploring topics like evolution, race, alien intelligences, sex and gender, and much more. Get early access to full episodes from this brand new season by registering for a free membership at their website, closertotruth.com. Discover the fundamental issues of existence, engage new and diverse ways of thinking, and seek out your own answers with Closer to Truth. This episode of Philosophy for Our Times was recorded live at the Institute of Art and Ideas annual festival, How the Light Gets In. Early bird tickets have just gone on sale for How the Light Gets In 2018. Join us next May to debate the most cutting-edge ideas of our time with the world's leading thinkers. For more information and tickets, see the festival website at howthelightgetsin.iai.tv. That's howthelightgetsin.iai.tv. Welcome to Philosophy for Our Times. Facts are assertions. From the Institute of Art and Ideas. We examine every aspect of contemporary thinking. What is love? Is it real? Is democracy illusory and incoherent? Finding cracks in the way we understand the world. I think there is a crisis of values. Realism has failed. We debate the way forward with today's leading thinkers. We're all trying to understand what the hell is going on. A live podcast production from the Institute of Art and Ideas. In today's podcast, we will be asking the question, is lying ever justified? Our host is investigative reporter and broadcaster Jacques Peretti. And the panel features comedian, writer and actress Helen Lederer, Irish TV news reporter, author and former record label manager James Mahan, and consultant in adult general psychiatry Mark Salter. Anyone here ever been in a room with a four-year-old just after they've come out of a room, their face smeared in chocolate cake? And they say, it wasn't me, an eagle ate it. <laughs> Notice the insouciance and the total conviction with which the child has realised at the age of three or four in Eskimo culture, Frankfurt culture, Stopsu, Yanomami Indians, you name it, every culture around the age of four or five, kids learn, male and female, pretty much the same age, although girls are better at it than boys generally, they've learnt that to tell a fib will confer survival value. And sometimes that leads to my opponent being shafted. I see a lot of that. In other words, lying is a fundamental human thing. We have this inbuilt ability to read the minds of others. Gorillas can just about do it, chimpanzees maybe, but boy, we do it in spades. And the game poker is all about lying. And notice when there's rules that forgive it, we get away with it. We're lying in poker. But are we lying in day-to-day -day life? One way of making sense is this. Lies are about distorting truth. Truth isn't real. There's no such thing as truth out there, unless you're Plato, and he tells you he's never going to achieve it. If you look at his etymology right back to Proto-Indo-European and the early languages, truth comes from the word to choose. 
At any one moment, there are a million versions of reality and truth available to us. And who we are, the stuff that happens to us, good or bad, makes us choose particular patterns. So if we're going to talk about you know, truth and lies, we have to remember it's not a state or a simple verb, it's a relationship between people. How we get on with people, or we choose to crap on them from a height to get up the ladder, being more honest with ourselves about when we're lying, that's the way forward for us all to live our lives, in my opinion. So do you think, guys, that we are wrong to demand honesty from the powerful, from governments, because it's just a naive thing to expect? I mean, it seems to me there are truths. I mean, for instance, once upon a time, we didn't believe that cigarettes gave us lung cancer. But now we know that to be true. There are things that are true, are there not? Or am I naive to think there are things that are true? Well, I'll I, I jump. I mean, yeah. obviously, as time goes on with evolution, the information is different. So um, we're spun more information, good and bad, to uh, influence our choices to give more money to tobacco industries or, or to c come up with an alternative campaign. I need to clarify as well. Were you saying that lying is very, very bad and immoral? And were you saying... I need to understand what yeah, you're Yeah, I'm, I'm against say. lying. That's, that's true. Yeah, I, I don't if, think... But if it's a concept that doesn't exist in terms of truth, then how can that behavior be uh, judged? Well, I don't believe that lying is about the truth versus falsehood. I, um, because it's correct oh, that... Good. Yeah, um, lying is about being truthful. So lying is about what you believe versus what you tell people. You believe or lying is about what you believe versus what you tell people put it like that so if i believe something to be the case and i tell you that it's not the case then i've lied even if it turns out i'm mistaken and what i actually said was true so the question is can we hold people accountable to what they believe can they be held accountable to the standard that you're only to share what you actually believe. And I do believe that you can be held yeah. accountable to that yeah. standard. Yeah. Because part of your yeah. definition is that the, the liar knows of what they're saying is not correctly yeah. with the truth. The kid with chocolate all over his face knows damn well there was no eagle. You know, <laughs> they, are, they are bullshitting a typical liar, you know, which in that case is you know, roughly true. The chocolate's gone, but actually it wasn't <laughs> an eagle that did it. <laughs> but I, I think you know, the point is that you actually know you're coming up with a mistruth in order to gain personally, usually, not always, but usually at the expense of another. But here's the case that recently occurred that I think everybody does know, which was Volkswagen and how they had completely faked all the uh, emission yeah. standards for their cars. Mm. Now, when that was exposed as a deception practiced upon, you know, I mean, how many people does that group of lies or victims include, right? All the people who were buying the cars, all the people. So when that came out, it was an enormous scandal. I mean, it was that they had actually perpetrated this. And of course, you know, there were Germans and that was even worse, apparently, because of course you might expect it from other nations, but not from, anyway, this kind of stuff, right? <laughs> so basically they perpetrated this entire fraud upon people. You know, for that time, they made a lot of money and they were being called on it. Now, I don't think that the response from people was something like, oh, well, you know, of course, car manufacturers lie. No, people were absolutely outraged. The other case, which, again, is, um, I don't know, close enough to my heart in some sense, because for years and years, I had all these relatives who were mad cyclists, right? They're really keen on this. And then Lance Armstrong was winning the Tour de France like seven times. And then, of course, you find out that he was lying the entire time, and he was doping all the time. Again, the response from people wasn't, you know, whatever, cyclists lie. No. 
So I actually do think the outrage in those cases was because people thought that they had been lied to. Now, just a footnote on the Armstrong case, which is actually rather funny. I think it's funny. It's, it's maybe terrible, but it's funny. In the United States, right, you know he's written two, at least two autobiographical books, right? Readers in the States tried to sue him in a class action <laughs> because he had lied to them in those books. And the U.S. Supreme Court <laughs> decided that he, he was perfectly within his rights to lie to them. And so lies are protected <laughs> under the U.S. Constitution. <laughs> Is there an amendment for that? <laughs> <laughs> do you think there's a kind of... Sorry. <laughs> I, I was going to say, but you know, it's only on, uh, this is a lovely example of what I'm trying to say about lying being in a relationship. It's what we all do normally. There's some health in lies. Let's go back to Brexit, okay? Line number one is the omission of truth. This has nothing to do with Europe. This is the debate about the leadership of the Tory party. That's generally it for most people. That's how it seems to me. I mean, why did he ask this question in the, in the first place? To bring his party into order. It's a strategy. It confers survival upon him. Now, lying is something we all do naturally, some better than others. Boris Johnson is a very skilled liar, but sometimes people get it wrong. To my point of view, as a cynical reader of politics, this guy's come out, and it's obvious, all the newspapers and his friends have gone online saying, Boris doesn't really mean it. And this gentleman, who up until now has been cut a lot of slack because British love a rather wacky, eccentric toff who's possibly tough underneath, has now been revealed as quite a venal man, in my opinion. He's quite happy to change his tune for the personal reasons of survival. And who's at a disadvantage here? Well, from my point of view, maybe half the United Kingdom. Maybe. Now, that's a lie. That fits your, it ticks all your boxes. Well, when is and it And because good? we're good when at it, it when we can it? sniff lies out. So, mm, sorry, mm, what I'm mm, saying mm. is that mm. spotting a lie is a very valuable thing. It teaches us to devalue a person standing in our culture. There's a big payoff. We're not stupid. We're not being lied to and not realising it. We're swallowing this kind of stuff, and if we want, we can spit it back. It's useful to us to have this thing, I think. Sorry. I want to know when is it useful um, and how does it serve society and how can we be in, um, how can we benefit from a piece of behavior that is natural let's be clear there are ways to deceive people without telling lies to them right you can leave false evidence at the scene you can not say something when you could say something and you can allow them to have a false belief or to form a false belief so the claim is not that they're not engaged in deceptive acts yeah, they can be engaged in deceptive acts, but that doesn't follow that they'd be guilty of the lie. So I think that deception is a far broader matter, and there are isn't all that, sorts of ways for that. Isn't that semantic, though? No, I, I don't think it's semantic, because I think that the whole point of the lie was, it's not just that you get somebody to believe something false, you get them to believe it on the basis of trusting that you're being truthful with them, and you aren't necessarily being, asking them to trust you as a conveyor of information through your testimony, in these other cases of omissions. But I could certainly morally criticize them. I, mean, I give an example of a good lie, or a sense of lie that keeps us ugly. You know, that's commerce. You know, I, I ask for an object, I want to sell it at a certain price, I go into haggling with the person who wants to buy it off of me, and I'll exaggerate its cost to my personal gain. And the person's the other in the relationship of lying, the person on the receiving end of my nonsense about that, this is my last one, my grandmother sold it to me, and I'm telling you, I've really cut down by 50% already. That's a lie. I'm doing that to confer advantage to me at the expense not of your life, but of your bank balance. It fits your criterion. And Wall Street, God bless it, keeps the world going around, or yeah. does it? <laughs> Do you think we've seen a massive shift? I mean, as I understand it, we've seen a huge shift in terms of 
cynicism, really, uh, in terms of authority. So, I mean, once upon a time, you trusted banks. You believed that they would look after your money. Once upon a time, we trusted politicians, or did we? Nowadays, when you look at opinion polls, most people expect politicians to lie. Most people expect bankers to rip us off. The expectation in terms of trust of people in authority and power has completely dissolved. But that's because they're not accountable. I want to go back to uh, individual conscience, like in the hotel, and they say, did you have anything from the minibar? Um, well, now, at my age, I'd be honest. But in the past, I mean, I'd let, I might have lied. <laughs> um, is that going to carry with you? Or when you're talking about deceiving people, what, what would be the motive of wanting to deceive a person? I mean, there's, it's called karma, isn't it? Which is probably not an intellectual notion at all. But if you try and be a good person with a conscience, it, doesn't it come back to you? So where does conscience lie in the individual? Because I don't know how to affect politicians. I, and apart from making them have a lie test, every six months. And would that even affect anything? Because commerce is outside individual politicians. The agendas, I can't even manage it. So what about the conscience? Would you feel bad if you lied to someone? I think if it's going to lead to disastrous disrepair for the other person's life, yeah, I would. Right. But what if they were dying, and that example, your psychiatrist, and then somebody, not medical doctor, but if somebody was going to definitely die, would you say, well, you know, would you soften it or would you say, oh, you're going to die? Soz, well, th this know? comes back to this thing about lying must never takes place in the moral vacuum. If I'm talking to a patient who's suffering with, say, disseminated carcinoma of the breast, remember, I'm talking to that woman in the context of knowing her over the years I've looked after her, her husband, what her children think, the fact those children are only two and seven, and I'm going to be weighing all those things up and trying as best I can as a compassionate human being with a medical degree thrown in to weave together the best possible way of steering between the, the rock and the hard place in order to come up with something that limits the damage, you know. But hey, a thing like that, that's a pretty excruciating example, I think. Could I ask you something, Mark? Do you remember that, um, I don't know if you remember the Oliver Sacks story about him. He was on a psychiatric ward because he was, he was a psychiatrist, wasn't he? Uh, he was a neurologist. Neurologist, yeah. sorry. So yeah. he was a neurologist. And he, was on a, he was on an award with patients and basically they were watching the TV and they were watching a speech by Ronald Reagan. Yes. And they are all in hysterics. They're rolling around laughing. And he's, yeah. And he says, well, why are you laughing? And they all said, well, because he's lying. And no one else could well, spot it. You, as soon as you say that, <laughs> uh, there was a lovely review in the London Review of Books of Oliver Sacks' book, A Leg to Stand On, and the title of the review was It's Got Bells On. Yeah, Which, yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> and, um, but is, yeah, that, is it a sort of myth a, to believe? That's 62 yeah. pages of fear, and that's Oliver writing it. Right. God bless him. Yeah, yeah. But it's kind of, is it, is it that the, you know, in, in a mad world, the, the mad are sane kind of thing? It's a Shakespearean thing, is it? That only they can see the truth. The, the rest of us... I kind of have that platonic, well, we're in the cave, I think and people, all we see are the shadows yeah. on the wall. <laughs> actually, well, actually, that's a philosophical I, thing. I think so we people who actually next. live lives by virtue of madness and being on the outside are actually quite accustomed to thinking outside of the, you know, of the swallow conventions. You know, there's another word for truth, and that's reality. <laughs> and people's version of the reality, which isn't quite as terrifying a word. I think you can use the word truth and reality in Parliament. But um, mm, uh, truth, you know, th yeah. th those words, I mean, you know, we, we differ very widely on what, on what reality is. Well, the reality, you see, because then that's where James can answer this question as a philosopher. <laughs> so you have, you have the cave, you have Plato's cave. All we see are the shadows. This is where we live, obviously. Uh -huh. All we see are shadows that we believe to be reality, distortions yeah. of reality. The only time we actually see the truth is when we leave the cave into the sunlight 
and see the world for what it is. So truth is almost like this transcendental state that you end up in, but it's something we never actually achieve. Is that, is that? Yeah, I mean, I, I well, Plato's complex because of course he thinks that all the things you think about the world are false, right? So yeah. the world really is eternal and unchanging. So that's a reality and appearance distinction that doesn't work as well for what we're talking about when we talk about things like my own thoughts. I tend to have access to my own thoughts. But, but here's the catch, <laughs> right? Here's the catch. So this is interesting about the Reagan case, because Reagan is often touted as a famous case of somebody who actually believed his own falsehoods, right? So In which the question, case is not lying. Uh, yeah, this is my point. If you're completely <laughs> self-deceived, right? If you're completely like, of course I didn't sell arms to the, right? If you completely, if you believe that, and you tell people this, then actually you're not lying. You are conveying falsehoods, but since you believe them to be true, you're not actually engaged in the practice of lying. And with respect to evolutionary theory, um, there's a very interesting book. The argument of this book is that essentially human beings in this rat race that we went through to combat each other's intelligence, right, uh, which involved trying to maybe get advantages by cheating in certain ways against others. Such was the arms race that it turns out to be the best way to deceive the other person to get what you need is to believe it to be true. <laughs> so if you really, you know, think, think of the last time you got completely and utterly outraged at how you were being mistreated by somebody and you conveyed to them with all that passion that they were treating you badly. In fact, they weren't and you are just gaining an advantage over them with this explosion of rage. So the most effective way to convince people of falsehoods is to be absolutely convinced of the truth of that falsehood. So that's yep. what we have. Uh, so it was, we, we're, we're good at lying, but we're even better at getting outraged, truly believing <laughs> this thing that's false to get our way. Mm. And so that's uh, actually a more common our phenomenon. Alternatively, if you don't really believe it yourself, <laughs> give it, blame it on the manager. Bush, another president, says, I heard the voice of God telling me to invade Iraq. Yeah, you know, right, you know, yeah. <laughs> was he lying or was he blaming on the manager? <laughs> well, Tony Blair said he did the right thing. So that is that belief. He, he and where, claims, do you go? Yeah. where do you go? Because then you're using a, a religious um, backup of, of his notion of God. And and when in doubt or when every other explanation's end finished, you'll go, at the end of the day, whatever that means, I did what I thought was right. So it's that could be that a delusional... Yeah, they wouldn't, they'd be delusional and not lying. Right. <laughs> and that's if we buy to, Tony, word, Tony Blair at his word. That, I mean, hmm. he could be perpetrating yet another, but let's... Yeah. But you see, I think there's something I was, because my field's making documentaries, and I was thinking there is a similarity, <laughs> I never thought I'd say this, with Tony Blair. When you were talking about <laughs> Tony Blair, about the higher truth. He believed in a higher truth, All which right. was going to war, basically. So we're going to marshal facts. We're going to marshal information, data, in whatever way, <laughs> to, to a, a, a bigger end. Right? Yeah. So when people make documentaries, of course you can take the, this is what I do, you can take the facts and you can kind of cut them any way you want in order to make an argument. Now, is that lying or is that, you see, if you're going towards a, a truth that you believe to be true and you're using things in a selective way on that route, are you lying or are you telling the truth? You're doing the best. It's utilitarian, isn't it? It's the, right. the outcome will benefit more, but as a belief system. 
No, it's true. Well, you could be utilitarian if the outcome was to benefit the world, but you could just be out to get what you wanted done. Um, and that would be a teleological point, but just like, but it wouldn't necessarily benefit the world. The, the, the problem of spin and slant is actually, to me, the biggest problem with political campaigns today, whereby it's all about, you know, spinning and, and emphasizing and seizing upon, right? Um, that's really what the campaign is. And so you can mislead by exaggeration or you can mislead by, a, you know, seizing on a detail and blowing it up. It wouldn't qualify necessarily as a lie, you know, even if you were engaged in that kind of spinning. Well, like, th this brings yeah. us back to this muddy grey world I was trying to talk about mm -hmm. earlier. You know, I call those things lies. Spin is a lie. It's saying more than is true. Albert Camus writes in, in the afterword to L'Etranger about most lies are actually exaggeration or hyperbole rather than simple delivery of untruths. And uh, I think that, you know, like I said earlier on, it's a lovely example of it with, uh, with politics, especially American politics, where you're having to re reach the, the stark, the grotesque side of the American dream that anyone, Donald Trump included, can get out there and get away with things that people want to believe. We're watching this like it's some goddamn circus on the other light side of the Atlantic in slight horror. I think I'm speaking on behalf of most of the planet when yeah. I say that. Humankind. The point is, lying is a relationship. And when somebody's lying, dangerously or badly, we know. And what goes around comes around, as Granny says. And ultimately, we end up getting the society we deserve. And boy, have we got it in the West. Suicide, the commonest cause of death in young people, unemployment shooting up, China and India snapping our heels. We've got some interesting prices to pay for our endemic lies. So. We mean to start, you know, choosing times we lie. You mentioned Trump. There was an I think it was in the Economist or somebody. They had the headline was "Post Facts Politics." Post Facts. <laughs> I love it. It's kind of good, isn't it? Reality politics. Yeah. Why do they need to tell the truth? This is kind of maybe we're entering a realm where we have politicians who say, "I lied. I don't care. <laughs> I don't care that I lied because people are going to vote for me." And that's kind of, is that a dangerous space that we're entering into where we believe, we believe once upon a time they might tell the truth? Not anymore. Do you want to hear more from the world's leading thinkers? If the answer to that question is yes, subscribe to IAI.TV for unlimited access to thousands of debates, talks, articles, academy courses and live events. Are you bored of the surface level news, politics, sports and entertainment coverage on your newsfeed? Go deeper, get the philosophy behind the news, and get the latest big ideas from the world's leading thinkers on subjects at the core of the human condition, life, the universe, and everything in between. It's free for the first month, and there's no commitment to pay, so subscribe now to understand the world beyond the surface level. Can I do, uh, I want to do a slightly spiritual thing and then go back to the politics because it's so important and mm. we all take mm. away the thing. With your chocolate and mm. the child, I think I read a, a test where... That was an Eskimo, by the way. Was it an Eskimo? Uh, yeah. Okay, okay well, I don't know how that colours the result, but I'm sure it does <laughs> significantly. But, so you, uh, you, you put a child and, they, and you say to the child, don't eat the chocolate, then you observe. If you say to the child, it would make me really happy if you didn't eat the chocolate the child is more likely to tell the truth than if you are authoritarian and uh, talk about punishment, the child will lie because it's more fearful. So surely this is worth noting that as human beings, we, are, we do respond to goodness. We do respond to good role models. We are inspired to not lie uh, through uh, example. But I don't know how that can 
be applied in your superior knowledge about governments. That that leaves me. I just don't know what to. Apart from the lie test, and what's that? <laughs> and that's you've disproved that to be effective already. It was an interesting Adam Curtis thing that he did about um, about Putin, saying that Putin can simultaneously be on his own side against an enemy in Syria, but then also be on their side. That we're kind of entering yeah. a space where no longer do they have to tell the truth, but they no longer need to take a side either. They can take multiple sides simultaneously. So it's quite. I don't know. I mean, maybe I'm exaggerating, but it seems to me we are moving or morphing from a space where we had a kind of idea, or perhaps not you guys, because you seem to have a more nuanced notion of truth and falsehood. But I, in my naivety, thought there were facts and truth, mm -hmm. and there are lies and <laughs> falsehood over here, but not anymore. They've kind of gone like that, you know. So one thing about the child case, because um, this comes up, it might be that there's a stage early on in which children are engaged in lying. Let's, let's even say it's lying. I'm not even certain I want to call it lying you know, basically denying responsibility so that they can avoid blame, right? Now, it may be that they have, they have a complex enough thought that they actually want the parent to believe this thing and not just that they want to deny it because if they deny it, they won't get punished, right? They may actually want to convince their audience of the truth of what they believe to be false. If that's what they're doing, then they're all the way engaged in lying. But my thought is this, I mean, if that's the stage you go through, it's also the stage you go through in which you don't want to share your toys. And so if you think that there's progress morally in a person's life, you might think, okay, so we went through a phase, but now we actually you know, grow and learn that we actually shouldn't engage in deception. And so you would accuse people who are constantly denying responsibility for what they're doing of being child children, right? Being trapped in this childhood idea that they can deny with the chocolate on their face or whatever, right? So it, it, there's, a, there's a term for this in philosophy. Um, I don't support the view, but there's a term for non-deceptive lying called ball-faced lying, whereby you basically just deny the obviously true. And you can escape blame by denying the obviously true because unless you accept it, unless you would commit, to, unless you confess to it, you're not going to get the punishment. Take it or leave it. Right, right. So, so I'm going to deny it, and I'm just not going to care that you think I'm a liar. Mm -hmm. I mean, I think of sports individuals. Sports players with steroids as being in that group, right? Mm. They just deny that they're taking yeah. steroids. It's perfectly yeah. obvious mm. they're taking steroids. Mm. And the question is, since they have no interest in anybody believing them, they just have to deny mm. for legal mm. purposes, are they engaged yeah. in this rather complex attempt to deceive mm. you? Or are they just denying it like mm. children mm. to avoid blame? Yeah. And I suppose if that counts but, as being a mm. lie, and I, yeah. we certainly morally condemn them, then there's more lying of that kind but, going but on. This and comes it's back to my point about because that's a reasonably contextless situation, the barefaced lie, you know. Whereas, like, whereas I'm saying that lies always occur in a context, and we have to get better at being honest with ourselves, not about the lie itself, but the context. The kid lies, okay? It wasn't an eagle. And if the parent is skillful, he, will, he or she will find a, a not too confrontative, but at the same time not too painful a way of reminding the child, you don't get away with that kind of thing. The child learns. He or she is a richer mm. person for it at that yeah. crucial age of four. So, you know, negating lies or drawing their attention to the inconsistency, you're a bad liar, kiddie, you know, is actually quite helpful for them. But the emotional context can sometimes become excruciating. Read Martin Gilbert's The Holocaust. He devotes a whole chapter to why the Jews believed when they got in 1937-38 and they found out that their cousin from Vienna had been sent to a holiday camp in Poland. And here's a, po here's a lovely postcard from our Ingrid. Oh, she's really, really doing very, very well. Oh, it's very, she's not working too long hours here. The weather is very good and the food is good. How is it that an entire race believed those lies? Or so they appeared to. Or if you well, ask them. Well, psychiatrically, I mean, 
come, come from where you come from, there's a desire to believe, isn't there? There's always a desire to believe. Or there's, there's a, a bias There's a desire believing. not to know the horrifying yeah. truth that applied yeah. in that situation. So under those circumstances, the emotional context in which the lie is told is crucial to defining, you know, how we play this lying game with each other. And, uh, and Hitler and Goebbels, who don't know a thing or two about the big lie, uh, seem to have milked that situation very skillfully, horribly, but skillfully. I wondered if, if just lying, though, when we take the child, it's kind of um, liberate. You know, when you see a child lie for the first time, they're kind of liberated <laughs> by it. There's a sort of thing where they just can't believe the power that it gives them. The idea that an adult believes them. Actually, maybe he doesn't even believe them. But they achieve what they want. Right. And I wondered, when you're talking about politicians. Magic but, with words. Yeah, so it's <laughs> children and politicians share something there. They have the power that they get from lying. Is that something, is it, is it kind of an addictive thing? Is it something that you, it gives you power and you want to do? It's my experience of human nature. If something feels good, you do more of it, you know, usually, usually to the point of self-destruction. And that's maybe what we're doing now. I mean, I think that our culture may be on its way towards hell in a rather large handcart. Mm, yeah. <laughs> well, always the way. As a comedian, did you find yourself lying in order to get a laugh? You, you have to reflect elements that people will sufficiently connect with because it's all about recognition well it's not all but in my experience it's about recognition so to be authentic is to be powerful it's the best tool in whatever you do so we've already established most politicians cannot be authentic because of the infrastructure of what what they have to achieve and their limitations or ego or addictions or whatever so the 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 desire is to be authentic and try and do good Say you were performing a, a routine for this audience and yes. you weren't being authentic, they would suss it. They, they would, wouldn't like me. They wouldn't I'm like. not saying they all do anyway, because nobody, <laughs> because nobody can like everyone. And that's the other painful truth that just betribes. So we can't like, nobody can all like each other. But when we as a tribe member identify somebody else's authenticity, chances are you will like them because you don't want to be alone. This to me is a perfect example. So I take it that the joke is on its surface a falsehood. But actually, the point of a good comedian is to be sincere, right? You actually need to convey what you actually think or feel, or at least I think that that can be what comedians are about. So in fact, although the lines might all be false, the sentences might all be false, in fact, it's the opposite of the liar, because you're actually trying to convey a truth to your audience about something or other. So this is why I think that the actors and the comedians and the people being ironic, I mean, the whole point of being ironic is to tell you something true, right? I really love that. That's a person being honest with you. They didn't love it, right? They're actually being honest with you. So I think that that's a case where you're actually playing with language and whatever in the conventions to convey something that you actually are sincere about. That's so, showing the audience. People have to find you. If you tell them, they won't necessarily believe you. So by being ironic, you're allowing some leverage for people to come to meet you. So it's all about connection yeah. of two Absolutely. hopefully similar values. They're very difficult to achieve. Yeah. <laughs> Definitely, but that's the solution, if I reckon. The irony, that is to say, the idea of holding two possible explanations for something in one's head at the same time is a way out of this mess that we, I think we're currently in. The metaphor, the joke, the art, yeah. the, gag, the gag is our way out of it, you know. I mean, I, I think, you know, when something's metaphorical and it's ironic, at the moment, what's that kid doing? This kid, when he's got chocolate all over his face, he's testing the idea that they might believe him. 
I can actually change what's going on in another person's head. The amazing thing about human beings when we're playing again poker is we know what he thinks, I think he's... There's this wonderful exchanging of, of truth and falsity, version A, version B, which one's it going to be? It's the same with a joke, the minute before you hear the punchline, you know, you're, you're dangling before it comes forwards. And I think metaphor and, and, and art, if you want to call it, and comedy, satire, Let's hear it for satire. He's a really good way of taking these politicians down a notch or two, making them realise how ridiculous they look. You know, the old—I mean, there's a lovely phrase: "The tools of the master cannot be used to dismantle the master's house." We've got to use jokes and humour, art, drama, and comedy, as it were, to go <laughs> to throw rotten tomatoes in the the modern equivalent. You know, that's the way forwards out of this handcart we're in. You know. Yes. And that's why it's banned in Russia or other countries as well, <laughs> yeah. isn't it? They, they're, a step, they're with you, they're a step yeah. ahead. Political so satire, ban you mean? Yeah, it's banned, it's banned isn't it? Mm. That's been Poland yeah, as well. Was it the spitting thing. image? So, uh, my youth, right? Yeah. Right, right, right. You know, yeah, that was like. Yeah. And there was a version of that in Ireland that eventually got stopped because it yeah. was cutting too close to the bone. Well, it's funny, isn't yeah. it? Jokes. I mean, that's the Orwell thing. And it was also in Umberto Eco, wasn't it? In the name of the rose. The whole thing was the joke, is the satire. Satire right. is the most dangerous thing exactly. that any, any tyranny will ever, will ever face. You know, and that's a. So I think we've established that truth is a beautiful thing. <laughs> Lies are kind of rare, but kind of beautiful in their own weird way. And you, the audience, have been awful. We've had a terrible time. <laughs> <laughs> that's a lie. <laughs> Just so we're clear. Thank you very much. Thank you. We hope you enjoyed this podcast, brought to you by the Institute of Arts and Ideas. Let us know what you thought by tweeting at iai underscore tv with the hashtag philosophy for our times.